0: God, we know you are worthy, and that's why we come here together to to be a part of one body, praising you, lifting our hearts to you, allowing for this opportunity to build us, to strengthen us, so that we may go out into your world to share your love and grace with others. So God, at this time, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. I believe I was either four or five years old, and it was our family's first trip to an amusement park outside of Kansas City called Worlds of Fun. Now, this was you know, kind of like your Six Flags experience. You had your, your roller coasters. You had your, your teacup type of rides, your, your kiddie areas. But they had, at Worlds of Fun, one of the first inverted roller coasters. And it was called the Scream Roller. And the Scream Roller was made out of steel. And it was very, very short, but it had two loops. So my Aunt Sharon decided that I was old enough at four or five years old to ride the scream roller. So we get up in line, and we're going through the queue together. And we get up to the very entrance, the very front entrance to go into the little house where you board onto the roller coaster to take the ride. And there is a gentleman who is standing at this door with a cane. And that cane has a mark on it to let you know if you are smaller than that mark, you cannot ride this ride. Well... I walk up to this cane, and the guy plops it down beside me, and there was about maybe that much of a difference between the top of my head and the mark on the cane. And I was disappointed. I was so upset that we waited all of that long, that long line, and I would have to go through the chicken exit, a big old exit that had this big old giant chicken on it. So I start to move that way, and I guess the guy turned his head to put his attention on the person next to him or the next person in line. And my Aunt Sharon grabs me, and we go all the way down to the front of the roller coaster to stand in line. I start shaking. I am so scared because I'm not tall enough to ride the roller coaster. I'm afraid that one of those little loops are going to happen. I'm just going to fall right out of the roller coaster. And I'm just begging, man, Sharon, please let me go. I don't care if I have to go through the chicken exit. I'll go. I'll go. She said, no, you are riding this ride. We've stood in line for so long. I'm not letting you. So we get strapped in, and I'm just shaking. And that roller coaster starts to go up at the first climb. And then that first hill hit. And the fear went away. It was filled, I was filled with this excitement, even through the two loops. So much excitement that once the ride was over, you can guess what happened. I wanted to go again and again and again. Luckily, the line was too long, so we only had to do it once at that time. But that became my favorite ride because it helped me get over a fear of riding roller coasters. Now, that may not be an actual fear for me, but at the time it was paralyzing. We have other fears that we have to deal with. As Sandy mentioned, some different fears, and I was looking to see what the top five fears that we deal with as a society. The fifth one was xenophobia. You know what xenophobia is? And not just say no, but. Sandy mentioned it. Fear of dogs. Sanophobia is a fear of dogs. Agoraphobia. What's agoraphobia? What? Fear of being outside and open spaces. That was the fourth one. The third one is acrophobia. Fear fear of heights. No, not yet. Not yet. Close. Acrophobia. Fear of heights. The next one, man, I had to practice this one over and over again to make sure I said it right. Ophidophobia. Ophidophobia. What? Snakes. Snakes. Fear of snakes. Yeah, Ophidophobia is a fear of snakes. (laughs) And then the number one fear, I'm sure we can all guess what that is. What is it, JP? Fear of spiders. Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia is the fear of spiders. One of my favorite comedians, Sinbad, he had a joke where he talked about if there was a spider on his right arm and a hammer in his left hand, the right arm would have to go. <laughs> now, these are things that we are afraid of. One of the things that this Holy Week does, it brings fear alongside a great And compassionate love. But today we celebrate Palm Sunday. I love seeing the kids in their costumes walking around uh, the sanctuary, waving the palm branches in the air, just celebrating Hosanna to the Son of David. This is a week that we prepare for an upcoming weekend that, that mixes this fear, this uncertainty alongside a great and powerful love. First and foremost, the love that we receive from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it also showcases a love that those, a part of Christ's story, shares for him. A type of love that is an all-abandoning love, a love that could get them in trouble, but yet they act out in ways to show this deep compassion for their Savior. Our scripture for this morning has a mix of both fear and love in it. So I invite you to go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, and you can follow along on the screen. It was two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the legal experts, through cunning tricks, were searching for a way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But they agreed that it shouldn't happen during the festival. Otherwise, there would be an uproar among the people. Jesus was at Bethany, visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease. During dinner, A woman came in with a vase made of alabaster and containing very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke open the vase and poured the perfume on his head. Some grew angry. They said to each other, Why waste the perfume? This perfume could have been sold for almost a year's pay and the money given to the poor. And as they scolded her, Jesus said, "'Leave her alone. "'Why do you make trouble for her? "'She has done a good thing for me. "'You always have the poor with you, "'and whenever you want, you can do something good for them. "'But you won't always have me. "'She has done what she could. "'She had anointed my body ahead of time for burial. "'I tell you the truth, "'that wherever in the whole world the good news is announced,' What she's done will also be told in memory of her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the question that we ask is, what was there to fear? As so we look at the story, what was it that caused fear in this moment? <clears throat> We originally had scheduled, uh, have read before the Palm Processional, the Gospel of Matthew, but I decided to change that to go to the Gospel of Mark's telling of the Palm Processional because I wanted you to get a bigger picture of what the Gospel of Matthew was telling us. In those three chapters that that come between the, the palm processional in Jerusalem to this particular story, there was a lot to fear. One of the first things that Jesus did as he came into Jerusalem, he went to the temple and he saw that... There were money changers and people selling animals for sacrifice, and Jesus went and turned over all of these things, causing an upheaval. Then we see that Jesus was cursing fig trees and and making them die because they weren't producing the fruit that he was needing. We see Jesus' authority being questioned by the rulers and the leaders because You just can't have some guy come into town mixing things up, changing things around, harming those words that we like to say in the church all the time. Well, that's the way we've always done it. See, I think the people, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were living in a... That's the way we've always done it. We've always had things going on in the temple to sell for... Or sacrifices. We've always had money changers in there to help prepare for the big festivals that come along. Well, what do you mean, over and over again, the authority of Jesus being questioned? Then we hear at the very beginning of our passage this morning that the leaders were sick of Jesus, and they were trying to find a way to arrest him, so they, they put him away so he wouldn't be a threat to their power structure anymore. I can just imagine as Jesus is in Bethany with Simon and with his disciples, and every single time the door would move or, or people would come in, there would be a, a look to see if they were coming for them. Can you imagine the surprise as a woman, an unnamed woman, walks in <clears throat> and breaks open an alabaster jar full of expensive perfume. The fear that they had of this intrusion, but I can think of the fear of this woman who is taking an opportunity to to move past her status to pay honor to her king. And she was immediately ridiculed for what she did. The money that could have been collected for this perfume was so much, almost a full year's wage to help take care of other people. But that didn't stop Jesus from praising this woman. See, one of the things that we understand is that in order to capture, in order to move past fear, we have to show love And not only love, but it must be an extravagant love. We were to take a look at another gospel. The gospel of Matthew shares this story, but there's one big difference between the two stories. In the gospel of Matthew, it says that the woman just poured the perfume over Jesus' head. The gospel of Mark is specific in saying not only did she pour the perfume over Jesus' head, she broke the jar signifying that all of this, this gift, all of it was supposed to be for Jesus in a, in a way, and an extravagant way that they hadn't seen before. See, she's showing that true acts of love are extravagant. True acts of love go beyond what may be normal. Sure, she could have just taken a handful of that 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 perfume, and placed it on Jesus' head to anoint him, that she wanted to show that she was all in, that everything that she had belonged to Jesus. It reminds me of a story of a young boy who is sitting in the middle of a church service, and it's time for the offering and the ushers come forward like they do here in our church. And they pray over the offering. And the ushers t- take the offering plates. And they start passing them along the aisles, along the pews for people to put their offering in. And the boy was sitting towards the back of the sanctuary. And he starts patting around on his pants pockets. And he realizes that he doesn't have anything. He has nothing to put inside the offering plate. So as the offering plate gets all the way back to the young boy, he he grabs it and he holds on to the plate and he looks to the left and he looks to the right and he scooches out to the aisle and he lays the offering plate on the floor and he steps into the offering plate. And then he raises his head and says, God, I don't have anything, but I give you me. See, it's that kind of extravagance that we see from this woman, that she is giving all that she has to honor the Christ. One of the things we also see is that this may be the only opportunity she had to do this. See, sometimes our acts of extravagant love or acts of our extravagant generosity, there may only be one specific time that we can do it. <clears throat> I saw a funny story on one of the Facebook pages that I'm on about driving down the road and they see this girl who, waving down a, uh, trying to wave down a car to stop. And the story was going, that may have been a ghost or, or something like that. But I was thinking about, you know, you had one opportunity to help someone in need. And maybe we've had that experience in our own lives, haven't we? Well, we've had the opportunity where we've seen somebody in need or somebody who, who was in want. And we just drove by because we didn't want to waste time or we didn't want to be bothered with a little inconvenience. See, that's fear taking over instead of allowing this extravagant love that we have been given by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to take over and make a difference in somebody else's lives. So I'm sure when she did this act of extravagant generosity, all eyes turned to Jesus Wondering, what is the master going to say about this? Surely all that she has done has just been wasteful. He wouldn't want this to happen. But Jesus gives these words. What she has done is good. What she has done is a good thing. Now that was a pretty weak translation of this Greek word. Other Translations put it as lovely or beautiful, or as the message puts it, a wonderfully significant thing. See, there are two words for the word good in Greek. The first word is agaphos, which describes a thing which is morally good. And then there's kalos, which is not only good, but lovely. See, something may be agaphos, but that would be hard, stern, and unattractive. I look at it this way when, when a kid, when your, your kid runs out into the street, and you grab your kid and you pull him back in, and you smack him on the behind to tell him not to do something like that again, that is agathos. That is a good thing to do. It doesn't give you joy. Because you don't want to do that to your kid, but you know that it's good to help train them to know that you don't run out in the street where you can get run over by a car. But if something is callous, it's captivating. It's beautiful. I think about that every single time I drive in to uh, Royce City to go to work, and the sun is rising in the east. I look at that sunrise and I see that that is callous, that is good, it is beautiful, it is it is charming, it is wonderfully significant. See, Jesus is comparing this activity of this woman, not just as a good thing, not as a waste or something that she's doing as a chore, but she's saying that this is one of the most beautiful things that could ever happen, the anointing of the Christ. To share this extravagance, to share that the work of Christ is a blessing, and to be able to take a moment to bless the Christ is more than what others have done. See, Jesus gives us a confidence that the story of goodness. And grace moves on. He tells us that this story of the woman will continue to be told over and over again. The story of extravagance, the story of love, the story of compassion that someone had on Jesus. So during this holy week, I give you two questions. Two questions to think about as we move towards the cross, as we move towards the tomb. The first question is, what are those things that cause you fear? Maybe it's a sick parent. Maybe it's wondering how your finances will, will turn out. Maybe you're worried about your own health. Maybe you're worried about a, a, a kid or, or a grandkid. How can you take a moment to lay down those fears this week, to take them to the cross and lay them down in front of Jesus and say, here are my fears. I give them to you. And the second question that we ask is, what are those things that you can do that are extravagant to share Christ's love with others. This world is full of dark and nasty things. But I know that I serve a God who is filled with love and compassion. And that love and compassion doesn't just stay with Christ, but it fills my heart and it fills my life so that all that I have and all that I am is shared for others so that they may see Christ in me. And I pray and hope that they can see Christ in you. Let us pray. Oh, God, you have given us a great love. First John reminds us that love drives out all fear. And when we have fear in our lives, it allows or it prevents for us to feel that true love that you have for us. So God as we move through this week as we move through this holy week we allow we ask that you allow us to let go of our fears to let go of our pain to let go of our disappointments so that we may be filled with your love so in turn we may then return that extravagant generous love towards others and we pray this In the name of the King who has come, Jesus our Lord. Amen.